Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. We're going to be reviewing uh, the epistle of Peter the Apostle, and we've already done uh, several recordings on uh, Peter 2, and uh, we're now in Peter 1, we've done first and second chapters, and uh, we'll be doing the third chapter today. It's been a busy week. I've added more to our study on Ruth. Uh, we've added a page on the Sanhedrin, which was the 70. And uh, there's a numerous different 70s in the Bible. Uh, the Sanhedrin at the time of Jesus Christ was very much an apostasy, doing absolutely uh, many things uh, against what Moses had said and when he created the first 70 by the command of God and what that 70 was doing and what the 70 at the time of the Sanhedrin was doing was vastly different, actually opposite. And and the same is true of the modern church. Many of the modern church groups, doctrines, philosophies, theologies is actually more has more in common with the Pharisees and sometimes even the Sadducees than they have in common with Christ. They they teach some of the information about Christ, some of the teachings of Christ, but even Satan does that. And the adversaries of God do that because what they don't do is the whole truth. And it's like jumping almost all the way across a chasm you still fall to the bottom because you didn't make it all the way. Because you didn't put on the full armor of God. You were not perfected in Christ. And there's a strong delusion in modern Christianity that makes it actually a worker of iniquity because it makes you feel a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And all these things are warned about over and over again in the New Testament. And they're even warned about in the Old Testament. And people have missed it. And of course, we were told that many people would miss it. Many people would come in the name of Christ, but they actually don't know him. It didn't say a few, it said many. And we're at that point. And so we can see prophecy revisiting us in this day and age. And all the prophecies, that the, the traumas, the... Uh, bad things that supposedly come about, which aren't really all that bad, they may awaken us, are coming about again because we have gone into this apostasy. And so we are going to do this study on Peter, and I thought I'd do a really quick, quick review of Peter 1 and Peter 2. I've got, if you go to our page at Preparing You, you can see an outline of Peter, the first epistle of Peter. And he starts off with, Be Holy which is another way of saying be separate. Christ made a big thing about being in the world, but not of the world. And if you just change the meaning slightly to the word that Jesus used, their world, 
or you translate it into world and then you think world means planet or the earth or something like that, you'll miss what Jesus was saying when he said, don't be of the world and that your religion should not be spotted of the world, as James says. What is he really talking about? Well, the word world there is constitutional order or systems of government that use force to take care of the needy of their society. That, we're not to be a part of that, and that was the Christian conflict. So he talked about purified in obedience. There's this progression of Peter where he talks about faith, and then he it leads to obedience, and it leads to a perfection of that faith in our actions. And uh, we go into that a little bit in this particular study. In uh, Peter 2, First Peter 2, we, he talks about living stones. What are the living stones? Well, what were the stones of the Old Testament? The stones that supposedly made stone altars and they killed sheep and set them on fire and that made God happy. And that's our contention. They were always living stones. It was the perversion of the people, the Hasmoneans and the Pharisees, that twisted the meaning of the Torah to mean something that it did not mean. And the stones became dead stones, and their religion became dead. And uh, we have a section on rock of offense. Ye are a chosen people. Chosen for what? The original Israelites were chosen to be a priest to all nations. And that's really what the church should be, is a priest to all nations. But then what's a priest? And we have a lot of uh, a sidebar uh, on this study so that you can see live links that take you to some of these subjects and so that you can understand the meaning of these words that are in the text and it starts changing the way in which you perceive what Peter was trying to say. It, you're called to good works and there's a huge movement in the modern church that, oh no, you, there's nothing you have to do. You can actually, in some of these uh, interpretations, you can actually be sinning, violating the Ten Commandments on a regular basis, but because you accepted Jesus, you're already saved, you're already forgiven. Well, that really gives people an out to seeking the kingdom of God. You don't even have to try to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You can be unrighteous, but if you say you've accepted Jesus, then supposedly you're saved. And it, that's not what Jesus said. That's not really what it says in the epistles. But people cling to these false teachings. And unfortunately, it is leading the people to destruction. It is true that there's nothing you can do where you earn salvation, where salvation is owed to you by God. No, you can't do works for that purpose. But the reason you do works is so that you can be purified in obedience as Peter was trying to explain to us this this progression of uh, faith to take us farther and farther along in this process of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that kingdom of God is an actual form of government that is a voluntary form of government that operates through faith, hope, and charity. It has a particular form Christ commanded that he that his disciples require and required them to require the people to sit down in these tens, fifties, and hundreds. In other words, organize themselves 
in, in a way in which they can see to the daily administration through the distribution of the loaves and fishes or the rightly dividing the bread from house to house. We also have this uh, section in there where it talks about submit yourself to every ordinance of man. And we talk about that in, in great detail. And we have links to other articles on this subject. What, what is he actually talking about? What words did they leave out of the translation? What did they mean by submit? And we go into that in great detail. And there's audios now up on the First Peter 1 and First Peter 2. But now we're moving into another section. Now remember the chapters have been added by translators. This is actually one epistle. And they're all talking about one message. And they're, they're looking at the same message from several different points of view. If you understood the Hebrew mind, they were full of metaphors because their language was full of metaphors and allegories. So they, when they're talking about a particular subject, they will go into specifics just to give you sort of an analogy uh, or a sample, like a parable, of what they're really talking about. And this uh, section in First Peter 3 starts off talking about wives. And it, but right away you see it says, likewise ye wives. Likewise is not the way you begin a separate message. That shows you that it is a continuation of this previous message, which, you know, we go up to verse 19 in 1, first Peter uh, 2, and it's talking about, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God's endure grief, suffering wrongly. And so, right there, that section shows you that you need to go back to the other section where it talks, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. And we talked about those terms, strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts. And what were those lusts? Well, it was benefits offered in all these other lands where you might be, where you were a stranger, a resident. And uh, you did not want those benefits because those benefits were spotted benefits. They were benefits provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. That your conversation amongst the Gentiles should be this conversation of faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. So all these things are tied together. So when he talks about likewise ye wives... Be in subjection to your husbands. He had just been talking about the being in subjection to ordinances. You know, that your walk and conversation be godly and righteous. It doesn't have anything. Yes, you should obey the law. You should drive on the right side of the road in America and the left side of the road in England. But where is your obligation start and stop? Why do you have so many obligations? Well, one of them is that you apply for benefits to the fathers of the earth. And you shouldn't be doing that. So, now he's talking about subjection of wives. And again, this is an actual real relationship that he's talking about. But it's analogous. And you'll see him do that as he continues in this. Of our relationship with the rest of the world. It's not He's not just talking about wives and husbands. He's talking about a particular spiritual relationship with one another. So likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, 
that if any obey not the word, they also may without word be won by the conversation of his wives, of the wives. What is he talking about when he talks about a husband that obeys not the word, not this spirit, this logos of Christ, this way of Christ, if he walks out of the way of Christ, that you still be good wife doing righteousness with your husband, being loyal to your husband for the purposes of husband and wife, which is to produce children and raise children up in the ways of God. And by your example, by your patience, by your uh, compassion, he is one over to obeying the Logos. He sees it operating in you, and therefore he is drawn to allowing it to operate in him. If you really are moving according to the Spirit, this brings in power and influence in whatever room you walk into, in whatever house you go into, in whatever nation you walk amongst. amongst. It will be revealed unto them that the actual nature of their sin, they will see themselves in the reflection of your goodness. And this is very powerful. And so exactly how that works, you know, you can't even put it into words. You have to actually just immerse yourself and see it. But this is this is what he's talking about. And, and you'll see more as we go along here. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. You could put the word respect there. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and wearing of gold and putting on apparel. In other words, this show, Jesus talked about that, you know, how the Pharisees go up in the front and they say their prayers and they donate money to, to for effect. What it looks like on the outside, he talks about whited sepulchers, you know, all white and clean on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. He's saying the same principle here concerning the wives, that they're, that what really makes them gracious is what is going on in their heart and in their soul and in their mind. He goes on to say, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the Spirit of God of great price. This this spiritual, when God is dwelling in you in the form of the Holy Spirit, this actually gives you tremendous power. And, get, and a woman can be that vessel of the Holy Spirit the same as a man. And that means that she can have the same power of any godly man in her if she receives that Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit comes to the humble heart, to the serving heart, because this is what Christ was, is a humble servant of others in righteousness. For after this manner, in the old times, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter ye are, as long as you do well, 
and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, in that colorful language, you can lose some sight of what he's trying to say. But uh, Sarah obeyed Abraham. She also contrived and connived and, and nagged him to get her way. But in the righteousness that she did manifest, in the obedience that she did manifest, in the loyalty that she did manifest in her life, she became this daughter uh, of righteousness. And it says, Whoso daughters ye are, as long as ye do well. In other words, if you start doing contrary to the ways of God, you're no longer a daughter. If if you claim to be a Christian, if you say you accept Jesus into your heart, but you're not keeping the commandments, then you're you make your profession a lie. You profess with your mouth, but with your actions you tell a different story. And so that's really important. So this this flies into the face of the guys who say, no, you can keep on sinning, but you've accepted Jesus, so you're already saved. No, you're not a daughter. He who does the will of my Father. That's what Christ is saying. That's here. This is what we see Peter saying. It goes on here, another section about husbands. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, Paul gave a similar message, talking about being in submission to your husband's but then saying that the husbands should be in submission to to Christ in them as Christ as Christ was to the church he gave his life if the husbands have that attitude of being willing to even lay down their life certainly lay down their pride and arrogance in order to take care of the wife and provide for the wife in a righteous way then that is the relationship you're looking for. Not some male ego who wants to dominate his wife and shout her down and bully her around and and even uh, physically get violent with her. Uh, that, that, is, that is absurd. That is not Christ. And yet men use these passages sometimes to justify that. That's not, that's not correct. So... Men and women need to understand this place of mutual service, each with their own strengths, each with their own weaknesses, because it talks about being the weaker vessel. In, in body, she often may be weaker than her husband, but in other ways, she very likely can be stronger than her husband. But when the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them both, their strength goes far beyond the capacity of flesh and blood. And that's really where you want to go. So in the next section, which is uh, entitled One Mind, and starts in verse 8, Finally, finally, he says, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, He's talking about this humble caring for one another, sharing uh, the burdens of one another, not rendering evil for evil 
or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. See, this is why you forgive, so that you may be forgiven. This is why you bless, so that ye may be blessed. It's not a tit for tat. You can't coerce God. In. It has to be a blessing out of real love, out of real charity, not merely a tactic. But this is built into the universe. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. As you love, so shall ye be loved by God. And that's what you really want is the love of God, not the love of the crowd, not the love of other people. You don't even do things so that your wife will love you. You do things because it is right. It is its own reward because you're you're seeking righteousness, not approval. We just talked about this on the study call where people want recognition and approval. No, you want, you're, you're not, it doesn't say seek the kingdom of God and the approval of others. As a matter of fact, Christ warns you that you may not get the approval of others. Likely you will get the disapproval of others. But that's that just goes with the territory. So, in verse 10 we see, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips from that they speak no guile. So, you, you know, one of the things that uh, this psychologist Jordan Peterson includes in his 12 rules is to tell the truth or at least not lie. And so that that's very important with your actions. If you really love God, you will keep His commandments. If you're not keeping His commandments, you better take a look at that idea that you love God. Because if you love God, keeping the commandments is really easy. If it's really hard, then there is evidently need for more love, whatever that love is. And so, and, and Peter, Paul... James, John, they all warn you to check your faith. You know, that's what the Ten Commandments are. They're a guidepost. If you're, if you're lying to people, then you're off the path. You are uh, violating the guidelines, which is the Ten Commandments. If you're committing adultery, even adulterating your body with all kinds of foods you shouldn't be eating, that is clear evidence that you're off the path. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods, that's evidence that you're off the path. And you need to take a look at that and get back on the path. But anyway, we're going to continue with this when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. And we're going to try to look a little bit deeper into this, understanding that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, we're looking at Peter. We have these live links over there on the side that go into great detail. And in order to get through the epistle, we can't go into all that detail with you in each recording. So we're just going to hit the highlights and try to get you to kind of take a look at the, this epistle and also a look at what you have already accepted as true because it is really all of us that are needing to strive towards this one mind coming into one accord. And, you know, over the years I've seen people who gather together in congregations and they do it for a variety of reasons. 
and uh, they you see them looking for an excuse to leave to separate out because we take them to a place that is uncomfortable in order to get to heaven you have to kind of walk through hell a little bit at least the hell that you've created in your own mind and you have to see some things about yourself that is uncomfortable go way back to the garden here adam and eve are walking with god but they violate his basic commandment. They try to decide, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, they decide for themselves what is good and evil. This is this is a position of pride, not a position of humility. And they are, their eyes are opened and they be, realize that they are naked without authority, without any power or position. And they are really incompetent when it comes to deciding what is good and evil because they can't know all and see all. And so they have sever their connection with the tree of life, with the Holy Spirit, with walking with God, and they become afraid. It's uncomfortable to them. They try to cover things up. This is where everybody is at. In order to get back to that tree of life, get back to the Holy Spirit, we have to take a look at ourselves and who we are and what we become. And that's going to feel uncomfortable. And deep down inside you, over there on your left shoulder, the evil is going to be whispering, no, you they're going to try to give you fuel to find fault with us. And certainly there is fault with us. But we don't gather together because we're perfect. We gather together because we need to rebuke one another. We welcome criticism. Uh, As a matter of fact, we worry more about the people who put us up, try to put us up on a pedestal than the people who are willing to criticize us. It's much healthier to be willing to criticize us and to stick around when we say, well, no, actually we are right and this is why, dot, 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 dot. And you have to be willing to look at that and turn away from ideas that you've accepted. But in turning away from ideas that you've accepted that aren't true, guess what you're going to see? You're going to see that you accepted untrue ideas. Why did you accept untrue ideas? Because you were not filled with the Holy Spirit. You were not eating in the tree of life. You were eating in the tree of knowledge and you were fooled. These are stumbling blocks put before you. Now you see it. Now you, that's uncomfortable. But you have to be willing to feel that uncomfort and strive, persevere into the end. So, we talk about not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, uh, but blessing so that we may inherit blessings. For he that love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So, you want to be telling the truth not only about others, but also about yourself. And if you tell the truth about others and they come back and they say, well, this is this, and it suddenly puts you in a darker light or in the shadows, then you have to be willing to see that. You also have to be willing to turn away from the evil, and that's what it goes on to saying in uh, in verse 11, let him askew, that means askew evil, that means turn away from evil, and do good. Let him seek peace. And ensue it. So, you have to strive to stay together. Not because there is no conflict, but because there is conflict. 
there's conflict in you. We had a call uh, on Tuesday, and I was just listening to it as I was going through the program and setting it up to be uploaded in our free church report study. And somebody asked a question about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is within us and that there's a discomfort that comes. And that's what I asked. It was, was this, when you see the problems in yourself, is this humbling? Because some people just see the pain of it. But if it's humbling, that's a good thing. Because now you can let the Holy Spirit enter into you and it will clean your house. You can't really clean it. But the Holy Spirit can clean it if you let the Holy Spirit in. Because the Holy Spirit is like light. And what you're cleaning out is darkness. And nothing gets rid of darkness better than light. But sometimes that light comes in. You know, when you, if you're in a dark room and somebody turns on the light, you have to squint because the light almost hurts your eyes. Well, that's, that's what awakening sometimes is like. And so, therefore, you have to be willing to feel that pain. So, turn aside from evil and do good. And when you find that difficult to do good and ensue peace, then that's good because that's showing there's still conflict in you. So, the conflict in your congregation is making you aware of the conflict in you. Becoming aware of the conflict in you is the conflict between light and darkness. Now, light can operate in you. If you're willing to feel the pain of that self-realization with humility and patience. You see, this is, this is that progression of Peter. From faith to righteousness. You can't do it, but God can do it in you. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Way back in 1 Samuel 8, the people had rejected God before 1 Samuel 8. He says they they want a king, not because they rejected you, Samuel, because they have already rejected me. Give them one, but tell them what's going to happen. He's going to take and take and take and take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I will not hear you. So now how do we get... God to hear our prayers. We have to seek the righteousness of God in the way we deal with everybody else. And the righteousness of God dealing with everybody else means that we have to come together like Christ and serve one another. Everybody complains about Obamacare and they want, not everybody, but conservatives complain about Obamacare and that it's a bad thing and, you know, we have to repeal it. It's already repealed for the Amish. They're automatically exempt from Obamacare. Why aren't you exempt? Because you're not doing what the Amish are doing. The Amish are taking care of one another. If you were doing what Christ said to do, what he commanded his disciples to make the people do, which is sit down and care for one another, love one another, provide for one another, in faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, what Paul said, what Peter said. If you were actually doing that, you would be automatically exempt from Obamacare. It probably wouldn't even come up. As a matter of fact, the government would not be taking and taking and taking and taking because you would have a different spirit that would protect you from that. God would be hearing you. And they would be fearing you. 
People want to get their guns and make the government afraid of them. You know, that's why we have to have our guns. And I have no objection to get that. We've written articles on this subject. But the reality is the real power is in the Holy Spirit. If you are not going to turn around, repent, and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness by coming together in faith, hope, and charity in that perfect law of liberty, no amount of guns will make you safe from tyrants. As a matter of fact, the Bible guarantees that you will be under tyranny and tribute because you're slothful in the ways of righteousness. So the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But if you're not being righteous, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, then you're not righteous. And you're lying to yourself about being a a believer in Christ. And you have need of repentance. And the wonderful thing about it is you can do that right now. You can start repenting. Start gathering together and start caring for one another so that you don't need those benefits. And it's a good time to do it because we're not in bad times. And like I say, there's a learning curve in this. It takes a while to learn how to do it. That's why... He's talking about persevering because it just doesn't always. Even Paul struck on his way on the road to Damascus, knocked off his horse and made a complete turnaround. He had to go off to Arabia and study for years to come to grips with what how wrong he was. It, it wasn't over that day, and then he was suddenly out doing miracles. No, he still had to do some struggling. And it's the same way with us. But in that struggling, no pain, no gain. That is why Christ uses those words about persevere and seek and strive. Those are all subject to time and a process, this progression of Peter. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? That's that's really important that you will have this extra protection, this pillar of fire protecting you. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is why the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's where it starts, but we should be seeing it manifested out in the world. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So this is why we're doing these studies is so that you can have a better understanding of what the gospel really is saying because there's so many people out there with a misunderstanding they're very confused about what the gospel is all about and if you don't understand what the christians were doing what that early church was doing when you read peter i can see that it will be confusing i can guarantee you it will be confusing when you read paul even peter guarantees that you will be confused by paul because he is going to talk to you about things hard to understand And that's why the modern Christians do so much quoting of Paul because they can take Paul out of context and and misconstrue what he's saying. Paul preached Christ first and Christ said that uh, he commanded that his disciples organize the people in these tens, fifties, and hundreds, that they feed his sheep, that they rightly divide the bread from house to house, 
that they take care of one another in love, not by force. Even John the Baptist said that. These are so basic. It's, it's, my job should be easy, but my job is unending because you are not listening to what John and Jesus and Paul and Peter and the Apostle John all were saying. You're not doing what they were doing. As a matter of fact, you're doing contrary. You're off the path because you desire benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. That's one of the key things. If we can get you to see that and then gather together, the other things will start falling into place. In verse 16, we see, Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed and falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now, like I said, the Amish are all exempt from Obamacare. Do we call them evildoers? No, we don't call them evildoers. We, you know, most people will admit that the, I mean, people will try to find fault with them, but most people will admit at least they are pretty peaceful people, you know, and they are not necessarily all unarmed either. You know, I don't, I don't agree with all of their, they're, they're actually a very controlling society in, in many ways, but I'm sure there are good people that are not far from the kingdom amongst the Amish. But if you take hint from what they're doing and the way they care for one another, and actually I wouldn't follow their exact pattern, look to the pattern of Christ. Uh, they're a little closer than most of you, but they're still not right on. But that's the whole idea of striving and seeking and per, uh, persevering is that th- there's that learning curve. And you're either headed towards the kingdom or you're headed away from it. There, There is nothing stagnant in the universe. Everything is in motion in one direction or another. So having this good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers. Now, why would people be speaking evil of Christians? They... They love one another. They're peaceful. They have to love their enemy. Why would anybody call them evildoers? Because they would not join the social welfare systems of Herod or the social welfare systems of Tiberius and Augustus and the Caesars. And we see that in Justin the Martyr's letter that uh, explaining to the emperor what what and how the Christians worked. They gathered once a week and those that had shared with those that didn't have enough. So why would they join, you know, Tiberius care (laughs) or or, uh, Nero care? Uh, They wouldn't join those systems and therefore they wouldn't pay into the temples that were actually government buildings providing those benefits, that free bread. They they weren't a part of that system and so they were considered evildoers because they were idiotists, non-participators. They weren't participating in what we think is a good idea. And that's what you see today, that if you don't think like certain groups, they hate you, they yell at you, they try to shout you down, they won't even let you speak because you don't agree with them. Well, that same spirit was alive and well in Rome. And Christians were doing something different than them, and that was taken as an accusation against them. And so, therefore, they despised and were often jealous of Christians. He goes on to say in verse 17, For it is better 
If the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Well, that seems to be a no-brainer. That if you're going to be thrown into jail, let you be thrown into jail because you would not covet your neighbor's goods. Let you be thrown into jail because you would not go against the teachings of God. And Peter is the one who said, better that we obey God rather than men. In verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, Peter understands what that is, because his own spirit had been quickened by the Holy Spirit. He was already doing miracles. He was seeing things and having courage that he did not have before the dissension of the Holy Spirit on him. And, you know, this is going back to that that article on the Sanhedrin where I talk about the 70 of Christ. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon these people who were the temple of God. And that's what the 70 of Moses were brought to the temple so that the Holy Spirit could descend upon them and awaken them and protect them and show them. So who is the 70 today? Who is actually gathering the people as as they were gathered in early Christianity to take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty? Who is doing that? Who is actually saying that? So where is the 70 today? Well, they will come when you repent and seek that kingdom. Remember... The 70 of Moses was taken from the elders of a network of people who were gathering in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Or tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. That's where the 70 were taken from. They were taken from these men who were in ranks based on service, not on power over one another. And see, if if you're not going to freely give, you will not enjoy the Eucharist of Christ, because that's what it is, thankful giving. And you will not be awakened. And then you will try to find an excuse why you must separate from others who are awakening. Because their awakening makes you feel uncomfortable. Because light is coming from them that you do not want to see, or it is showing you what you do not want to see in your own self. But if you walk this way, you will have this quickening of the Spirit. And then you will see miracles, and you will need those miracles by then, too. You can't conjure them up. They come with the coming of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 19, we see, By which also we he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, there's a number of different Uh, levels at which you can understand this because you have to remember when Jesus said forgive them they know not what they do he's talking about people that are literally in a spiritual prison they're bound up and so therefore they're doing things that they don't even they can't even stop themselves you know like a lot of of gays and homosexuals they say well we're just born this way we can't do anything about it we can't change you're absolutely right in the fact that you cannot change yourself I don't I don't believe that you're all born that way and the evidence goes way against you on that. But uh, the reality is that you may be that way and you can't help it. 
But God can help it. You see, because what you're seeing manifested in this perversion of the natural use, they were trying to, they were questioning somebody running, I guess, for an appointment in government. And they were trying to say, do you believe that uh, homosexual is a perver- homosexuality is a perversion. I guess that was their question. Well, it, it's very easy to say homosexuality is, you know, the practice of sexuality with the, the same sex is a perversion of the purpose of that ability, that, that um, power, because it's not procreating. It's obvious that that's why that ability to pursue those particular activities has to do with procreation for the next generation. Anybody uh, out in the country on a farm, anywhere, understands that. It's just basic nature tells us that. And it's an unfruitful, unproductive uh, exercise in a in a way that does not make natural sense. It, it It isn't going to produce the fruit that required to reproduce nature. And so, therefore, if you want to call it a perversion or disorder or uh, whatever, uh, you know, whatever adjective you want to put on it, 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 it don't work. <laughs> it's, it isn't, it isn't the way things should be. But they, you know, because people are operating in this emotional arena rather than in common sense, they're just trying to get goad him into saying something and they can make headlines out of it. And uh, the reality is, is that, you know, and he was hemming and hawing, afraid to say it, you know, because then he won't be appointed to this position. Well, appointed by who? See, your, your your whole systems have already been taken over by another spirit. They're not going to be quickened in the spirit of God. They will be quickened in a spirit, but not in the spirit of God. And and the tide is moving in that direction. What you have to do is seek high ground. You have to get up on the rock of Christ and start seeking his kingdom and its righteousness. You're not going to vote anybody in who's going to make your nation great again. Because it is beyond their capacity. All you can do is repent and seek the kingdom of God. And everything else will be supplied. If you do anything other than that, it's not going to work out for you. It's going to work against you. And so, anyway, we have a few more verses here in uh, chapter 3. And we'll we'll probably cover them in the, the next session. So, we'll be right back to do that. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in First uh, Peter chapter 3, and we're down there, verse 19, and we just were looking at, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. And that word prison, it's also translated cage. It doesn't necessarily mean, you know, prison, you know, what what was the old poem, prison, uh, bars and and uh, stone do not a prison make uh, something to that effect. I think I got it a little wrong, but the idea is that we're all in prison. We're all captured in our own iniquity. We're captured in a prison of sin, sin and uh, degeneration. And 
Christ is the door, and truth is the key that opens that door. But we have to walk through it. We will not be dragged through that door to to get out of prison, to get out of jail. Christ is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Christ is the way to get out of that bondage. When I first wrote the book, Covenants of the Gods, uh, people read it and they realized how, through the contractual nature of government, uh, people have waived their rights and gone into debt and become assured to debt and cursed their children, all the things that were prophesied. And somehow or other they thought, well, if we do this and this and this and we get UCC or whatever, they come up with all these different plans that we can be free again. No, no, iron bars and stone walls do not a prison make. Uh, neither do contracts, covenants, and constitutions. That you need to be seeking the kingdom of God in whatever status you're in today and the righteousness of God in your relationships with everybody else around you and everything else will be provided to you. If you do not seek to set others free with your efforts and toil and sacrifice, then do not expect to be free. Because that's where freedom really comes from. That's where you need that quickening of the Spirit that will set you free. Which is why these two lines are so close to each other. Where he talks about quickening of the Spirit and how it was preached to those whose spirit was in bondage. You could put the word bondage there even. In a a cage. And uh, that, that is where we need to go to be free is to seek that kingdom and a righteous relationship with as many people as possible in a network of charity and faith, open charity that reaches all around the world. That's what you need to be doing. And don't be divided by all these doctrines, every wind of doctrine. This is another warning they give you that nobody wants to seem to heed, which is why there are 20,000 denominations. The denominator of the church is Jesus Christ. That's why the doctrines of the church are what Christ said. You don't need any more than that for doctrine. You can look at more things, but do not be dividing yourself. Be coming into one accord, being of one mind. In verse uh, 20 we see, which sometimes were disobedient. When once... The long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was uh, preparing, where in few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. I would have translated that a little bit different, but um, that's the way it is. It reads in the King James. The, those Those eight souls were saved... Uh, by the ark, raised up by water, above the flood. And that ark is what you need to be seeking now, and that ark is Christ, and the ways of Christ. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, that resurrection of Jesus Christ was the quickening of the Spirit. 
But that quickening of the spirits needs to be taking place in us. In verse 22, it goes on to say, Who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. But he left. He said he had to leave so that the Holy Spirit would come. Why is that? Now, understanding that in the in the mechanics of the kingdom is not as important as actually just seeking that righteous relationship. And in seeking that righteous relationship and that progression of Peter, uh, we will come into fuller and fuller knowledge of God himself. And, um, and we'll talk about that progression of Peter later. Um, in in, in uh, this um, Peter four, chapter four, uh, we're going to come into other uh, comments, and if we have time, we'll run back over and look at some of the things in the side panel of um, chapter three. But uh, in verse one, it sees right off: for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. So this is why I point out that chapter 3 and chapter 4 are part of the same epistle. Peter didn't put in these chapter breaks. And so if you put in a break there, somehow or other you disconnect chapter 4 in your minds a little bit from chapter 3. This is all part of one thought. So, yes, by the resurrection of Christ, but here in the first verse, he's saying, arm yourself likewise with the same mind as Christ. In other words, gather together to serve one another, to forgive one another, to save one another. That has to be in your mind. You don't go to church for a good feeling. I really like the band. Oh, they have, it's really a nice building. Their air conditioner works. Their heater works. No, that's not why you go. And besides, the church is not a building. It's a, it's a, it's made of living stones. It's the people. So anyway, understand that, that yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is key, but so a part of that key is you yourself, likewise. Need the same mind of Christ. And wherever you don't have that mind of Christ, you are in need of repentance. In verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So right now, everybody in every nation, more so in the wealthier nations, are living at the expense of their neighbor, Because they have hired men who exercise authority to take from their neighbor to provide them with benefits. And of course, their neighbors don't give enough to provide them for benefits. So they borrow money against the future, which curses their children. That's what you're doing. And you're doing that because of a fleshly lust for benefits. And because of your own sloth of not taking care of one another. And that is not seeking the kingdom of God in his righteousness. That is a strange walk. 
And we see in verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, reveling, banqueting, and abominable idolatries. Now, obviously you say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not an alcoholic. Okay. <laughs> so you don't, you don't have this excess of wine. But there's a long list here. Lasciviousness, lust, uh, excess of wine. And we have, those are live links in this chapter on preparing you. And you can look up the article on lasciviousness and, and, and lust, etc. And find out what they're really talking about. The article uh, will go into more detail what falls under that category, including abominable idolatries. Uh, I should put a, there probably is a link over there on the right as to what idolatries are. You see, they talk about all these other temples and their gods in these temples and we weren't to go to worship. But these temples are where, when you signed up for those temples, that's where you went to get your free bread. Which is why the apostles, who were taking over the role of the Levites and the role that the Pharisees had taken over, the, the Pharisees were part of the, you know, it was a school of Pharisees that were supposedly Levites that were providing the services that the Levites once provided. Now the church was doing that. In the temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. But over there in the temples of Rome, if you signed up with, you know, you know, most people don't know that Herod built the temple of Roma. Everybody didn't like the gods of, uh, of Israel. And they didn't have really cool statues. And uh, so they they liked the gods of Rome. And so Herod built the Temple of Roma, which was, had a beautiful woman statue out front. And you could go sign up with that temple. But you had to sign up with one of these public religions to get benefits. Because otherwise you're, you're like a, an indigent individual. You know, you fall on, you know, end up in crime or whatever. You fell on hard times because nobody would be helping you out. Well, that's because that wasn't a problem amongst the Essenes because they had a system of charity to help one another out. But Herod came and the Pharisees came up with this system of forced offerings where everybody had to pay their fair share. And they provided bread through the temple, just like Rome provided free bread through the temple. But you had to be signed up as a member and had to pay in. That was idolatry. And that was also contrary to Christ, contrary to John the Baptist, contrary to the early church. And that was the conflict between Christianity and Rome. Was they gathered once a week and those that had shared with those that did not have enough through charity. That's not the way Rome operated. They, not the way Herod operated. They depended on those forced offerings which is a covetous practice, which Peter tells you will make you merchandise and curse your children. So in verse 4 we say, Wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. And yeah, there is a link over there concerning idolatries. 
and uh, and even the the definition of the word abominable, which is uh, ultimitos, I think is if I remember right. Yeah, that's that's it. It's a derivative of of uh, another word that has to do with fairness, law, law of nature, and it is kind of the antithesis of that, and that's what makes it abominable. And, of course, we just talked about homosexuality being abominable because it's not natural. And, and people will say, oh, well, you know, it, you do find it in nature. Well, actually, you don't really find it in nature. You will see steers mounting other steers and cows mounting other cows. That's all about dominance and pecking order. They're just trying to establish their pecking order in society. And that's really what homosexuality, homosexuality is all about, is dominance. And there's more to it than that. But it's not natural. It does not produce fruit. It does not produce a new society. It, it is. So it is. That's what makes it that abomination. So when people say, you know, that it's an abomination, here's here's the Greek word, which means it's against nature. It's contrary to the natural purpose of these abilities. And the fact is, is that we've all been going contrary to the ways of God and the ways of nature we what we do is we uh, we end up putting ourselves in a system a prison by waiving our rights waiving the natural rights that God bestowed us with which was our dominion we despise that dominion in exchange for benefits and and we walk in this strange ways this way of coveting your neighbor's goods and giving more and more power to government. I mean, people talk about Stalin being this killer of millions of people, Mao being killers of millions of people, uh, Che Guevara killing, you know, all kinds of people. Well, the reason they became these murderous fiends is because you gave them power to do so. And other people gave them power to do so. The reason there's killings in the schools today there's always been evil people around but the reason they go to the schools to kill people is there's no resistance you know you know in israel uh in about 40 years they had like two attempts to break into schools and kill children and the shooters were shot by teachers who were well trained those teachers who would carry guns and were well trained they stopped it and that's why they've only had two shootings in about 40 years. Is because it's not a gun-free zone. Now, just a couple of years ago, I saw where somebody came in with two pistols blazing in a library. And uh, there were lots of people in the library. There wasn't, I don't know if there's any teachers in there, but there were students in there. And they came in shooting in Israel in a library. And another student pulled out a gun and shot the guy. And uh, that was the end of it. And uh, it's because it's not a gun-free zone. Now, the reality is people don't want, you know, we don't want to turn it into an army and, you know, battles and all this stuff. But the reality is it won't. What What's drawing this killing is because people are not exercising their rights and responsibilities. They're actually prohibited. From exercise, I'm sure there are teachers out there very competent with, you know, a gun or a pistol and could, uh, would be glad to bring their pistol to school and, and keep it handy. 
you know, instead they got these foolish guys actually bringing in buckets of rocks for the kids, I guess, to throw rocks at people with guns. Uh, are you, are you, are you crazy? That is no solution. Or even they, they actually bring small, tiny baseball bats. I mean, like, gosh, you're just trying to get people shot. You know, what, what are you thinking? Well, the reality is they're not thinking. They, their brains are in prison. Their spirit is in prison in ideas and concepts. And they cannot overcome it. They cannot have sober minds. They need to start turning around and walking a different way. And unfortunately, I'm afraid a lot of people won't do that. But the beautiful thing is you can do that. You can join our network right now or you can find somebody else who's doing the same thing and join with them. But the fact is you have to come together with the Spirit of Christ and this is this is what they're telling you in this chapter. Likewise, with the same mind, you yourself have to walk in the ways of Christ, not in the ways of the Gentiles. You are presently walking in the ways of Gentiles, but that's what you have to turn around and turn away from. I'm not saying get out of the system. I'm saying start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm not saying get out of Babylon. I'm saying start seeking the kingdom of God so that there will be an awakening of the Spirit in you, gathering together with the Spirit of Christ. And He will change you. He will enlighten you. He will awaken you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So wherein they think that it's strange that we don't go with them. Well, that's what's going to take place. But then uh, you have to continue to do right. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For, for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh. But uh, but live according to God in the Spirit. That's what you want to do: is live according to the ways of Christ and God in the Spirit, and let God's Spirit dwell in you. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Now, there there was a huge end that was coming, and it did come, and. Uh, to a lot of people. And the fact is we all live what? Three score and ten years. Or some a little bit more. I know some people just had their uh, 89th birthday. I think it was. And um, I know other people in our community just had their 99th birthday. <laughs> so uh, some people live longer. But the reality is we are all coming to an end. And going to face an end. What we do with our life today will make a difference in the life to come. And don't don't be too quick to picture that life to come. The very few people understand what that is all about. Okay, the uh, next section starts with verse 8, which is fervent charity. And we see that there's a live link there, and there's uh, 
this comment made by Peter, and above all things, have fervent charity amongst yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. And that means that's being thankful for giving, is what he's talking about, or the opportunity of giving. As every man hath received the gift, even so ministers the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So whatever gifts God gives you, don't squander them. Use them wisely. Be good stewards. Give without grudging. You know, I, I know somebody who gives of their time and everything, but then they actually do a, a remarkable a lot of complaining about, like, where's everybody else? And why am I not appreciated? What what on earth is that all about? That That is evidence that there is a grudging spirit in there. And I'm sure they will deny it, but the reality is those... Those phrases will not come up. You know, if, uh, you know, actually I do occasionally wonder, where is everybody else? But I ask it in a way like, am I not looking where I should be looking? Is there something I'm not doing? It's not grudging that, you know, why aren't you guys here working? You know, uh, that isn't, that isn't, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm above that thought or feeling. You know, I have come up with that once in a while as my kids were growing up and found out I'm out here working and nobody else is. <laughs> and I'd go in and find out what everybody else is doing and, and crack the whip. But now all my kids are grown. They're all married to hardworking uh, people and uh, they commonly work 60, 70 hours a week. <laughs> and somebody asked one of my sons the other day, you know, he was actually being questioned uh uh, on a, a forum and they asked him because he had mentioned that he worked uh, an average of 60 hours a week and they says do you think you're overworked and he was like stunned you know and I could see he was trying to come up with an answer like uh, well, 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 he, he was actually stunned by the question well doesn't everybody work 60 70 hours a week <laughs> you know he to him it's natural to put in that kind of work. Because work is what makes us happy. It, it is a part of being fruitful. It's not a four-letter word. It's a good thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. I mean, you cannot be a good steward without putting in a little overtime. <laughs> so that's just the way it is. As every man hath received the gift, even so ministers the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So God has given you this life. He's giving you the, the ticks of the clock, the, the light of the day. Fill it. But from the very beginning, God said, dress it and keep it. Sounds like a job to me. Sounds like work. Yeah, everybody thinks that all, they, all he was doing is walking around all day eating fruit. No. Dress it and keep it. It's a job. And it's always been a job. Nothing wrong with that. What the, the curse was is that you would work and it would be to no avail. That's not fun. But to work and produce, be fruitful, that, that's a joy. It's not a bad thing. And I don't know where people got the idea that it was a bad thing. 
So that that's part of why my son was stunned by the question. Like, I thought we were supposed to work. What do you mean, overworked? <laughs> I'm sure there are times when he gets tired at the end of the day when he thinks, like, I'd like to go home. <laughs> but, you know, the, he, the amazing thing is in, in uh, several of my sons, uh, all of my sons, as a matter of fact, uh, when they have been in the workforce, I've seen it over the years. I haven't said much about it, but that where they go to work, the other people that are also working there end up working more and actually enjoying it more and 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 looking forward to coming into work. I knew when my one son started working in a place, there were several people that were scheduled for retirement. They put off their retirement because they wanted to work with my son. Now, these are spiritual things that that people want to do this. They're drawn to do this. This is, this is being drawn towards the kingdom because the kingdom is a busy place. It, it is not a gigantic retirement home where we all sit around and atrophy. It's, 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 God is fruitful. It is the nature of God to be fruitful and produce and to create. And so it is in the nature of those who seek the kingdom to do the same. And it is the nature of the other world to stagnate, do nothing, not produce, not be fruitful. You know, or actually what the second part of that nature is to destroy. And that's what many people are doing is destroying. That's why you see these shooters, they come in, they kill as many people as they can, and then they kill themselves. Because they have given themselves over to a spirit of destruction. And that begins with waiving rights, waiving responsibilities, turning your back on responsibilities. Instead of turning your back on evil, you turn towards evil and become slothful. You do not want to do that. And that's what Peter's talking about here. That's what the whole gospel is talking about. So anyway, we'll have to continue this in a moment because we'll take a little break here. And uh, we'll we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about fervent charity in First Peter chapter 4. And in verse 11, we see, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's that word dominion, which in Peter is also translated government. When he says, well, one of those who despise government or don't despise government, he's actually saying don't despise dominion. That's normally the way the word is translated. That dominion is given to God or recognize that God has that dominion. And if we speak, let us speak from his dominion operating through us through this Holy Spirit. If we do, let us do what that Holy Spirit is telling us to do. And in order to hear the Holy Spirit, we have to shut down our own personal vanity and ambition and anxieties and fears and etc. and be still and know what God wants us to do. In verse 12, he says, Beloved, 
Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. In other words, stop whining. <laughs> you know, be willing to carry the burden that God puts before you. And do it with the Spirit of Christ. Christ willingly accepted the trials before him. And so, that again goes back to this idea of fervent charity, which we saw in verse 8, that we should be giving without grudging, as we saw in verse 9. It's the same thing, you know, that we should be, and we won't always be, but when we aren't, realize that that's not the direction we want to go. We want to go the other direction, to be that cheerful giver. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. And so we, we see a lot of Christian persecution going on in the world today. And, and the reason why isn't because always these people are Christians, although in many cases they may be Christians, may, may be seeking the kingdom. They may not have heard the whole gospel, but you'll see a certain charity in a lot of these people. And they want to stomp that out of existence. They they want to destroy that. They hate that. Anything that even reminds them of Christ, they want to destroy. So, yeah, much of that persecution is persecuting the characteristics of Christ found in many people who profess to be Christians. Ultimately, it's Christ who's judge whether or not you're a real Christian or not. I don't have to make that judgment. But I am responsible to rebuke as many that I love if they are doing things contrary to Christ. It's great what they're doing that is in accordance with Christ. It is not so great that they are doing many things contrary to Christ. And and we need to turn around and repent of that which is contrary to Christ and get back on the path. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. So he's he's putting prohibitions there. He's saying, don't, don't be counted amongst these people. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And that's the problem. As the many Christians obey many things that God said, but there are many things that they are not doing that is a part of the gospel of God. And they're not doing it often because preachers are not really telling them the full gospel of God, God and what that full armor looks like. In verse 18 we see, And if the righteous scarcely be saved. Now we're talking about people that are righteous and there are many 
people who profess to be Christians that are not doing righteously. They're actually workers of iniquity. And Christ said there would be many that would do this. Yet they would think they were Christians. And so what we're, it is our job to tell you that that activity, that covetous practice, that praying to the fathers of the earth for benefits that come by exercising authority is not righteous. And you need to turn away from that which is evil and turn towards that which is good and gather together, as Christ said, and care for one another. And stop making excuses that someone's doctrine is not perfect according to your interpretation, your private interpretation. If you're not gathering together with that purpose, I, I remember this, and I can't remember his name, but there was a guy who was criticizing. He's got a page up criticizing us. He says, there's n- nothing in the Bible about a network. It's like, you didn't even read it, did you? I mean, the tens, hundreds, and thousands, Christ saying, command that the people sit down in the companies in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100 to the tune of thousands. And you know nothing of church history that did the same thing. How in the heck did they know where to send the aid from with Paul and Barnabas if they weren't gathering in this network? Of course they were. He's off in the woods somewhere and he helps out the little old lady who gets a flat tire and he thinks he's a Christian. No. Or the minister who's got a congregation but doesn't want to join it to us because it might cause waves. Christ caused waves. You know, everybody's got to figure these things out. And you need, and those ministers of congregations need to put an equal effort into gathering into a congregation of ministers. Not so that we become some denomination, but so that we are actually doing what our denominator said to do, which is what Christ said to do, which was to make the people sit down in this pattern. So that there can be loaves and fishes and so that they can love one another. And not just those who love them, but people they don't even know. Otherwise, you cannot cast your bread upon the waters with any wisdom. So in verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto the faithful creator. That's that's what we have to do, is to do this, suffer him, commit to him the keeping of our souls in well-doing. So, Peter's talking about well-doing. So, people say, oh, well, you're talking about what you do. Well, that's, that's grace to, uh, you know, salvation through works. That's not, Peter's telling you, Paul actually tells you, James tells you, Jesus told you. But some person who quotes Paul out of context said, created this other doctrine that isn't in conformity with the doctrines of Christ or the doctrines of Peter or the doctrines of James and even the doctrines of Paul. And you go off and says, oh, there's nothing we have to do to be saved. Because it's all about you. Saving yourself by what you think. No, that's not the way it works. So in First Peter 5... Starts out verse 1, which is really just a continuation of 4. The elder which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but for a ready mind, neither as being lord over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall uh, appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So we just, uh, I just actually this morning uploaded our audio on feeding the sheep, and uh, which is a part of our study on the Free Church Report. I haven't even announced it to the network, but I will uh, here shortly. And uh, if you're not on the network, you will not get that notice. You will not get that link. You will not get uh, where to go <laughs> to hear that audio that is talking about feeding my sheep, which is also a part of, um, you know, the Bible quotes where where Jesus takes Peter aside and asks him three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He actually doesn't say the same word in each verse, neither the same word for uh, if you love me. He used a different word for love. And so if you don't know that, you may slightly misconstrue what he's really talking about. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll get those links out to the network. And uh, if you're not a part of the network, go to Preparing You and join the network and get into a congregation because we do a lot more communication through the ministers of congregations now than we do through email. And so you you need to know and be a part of that congregation. That's one way we know that you're actually possibly seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you will not even sit down in those tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, then we should not be sending you loaves and fishes. And that's the way Christ set it up. And that's for a reason. So you need to understand that and follow in that way. So he says here, feed the flock of God, which is among you. And uh, we talk about that. What's the flock of God? That's not just people who congregate, but those who actually hear his voice and are walking in his ways and not the strange ways uh, that we see in Peter 4. Neither of being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Uh, that's You could see the high priests of Israel were living in more lavish luxury than even the king himself. And this is because they did not have the spirit of the 70. The Sanhedrin did not have the spirit of the 70. They were very much an apostasy. And you see there are certainly churches of people sitting on golden thrones and and what have you. Why in the world would a minister of God be doing anything like that? He should be embarrassed to do anything like that. And when the chief shepherd shall appear... He shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. If he finds you doing other than that, then it won't be a crown of glory that you receive. In verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. 
Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. That whole submit yourself unto the elder. And of course, now we talked about elder. There's links over there as to what an elder is. Elder is just the head of a family. And elders were chosen to hold certain positions within the church to provide a service for the people that actually fed the sheep both temporally and spiritually. Because we are to believe in God in spirit and truth. Not just, you know, think a thought and be saving ourselves. We have to actually be doers of the word. And that's there should be no objection to that to anybody who actually believes in Christ because that's what Christ said first and Paul preached Christ first. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God and he may exalt you in due time, in his time. Casting all of your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, excuse me, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, the adversary, that is what the devil is, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And right now in the world today, they have devoured the whole world. And that's why we know we're in a very climax time, is everywhere you go, not only devoured in these covenants of the gods, but devoured in spirit. We see it everywhere. But there is great hope because there are people starting to wake up. But in order to continue with that progression of Peter, they not only have to wake up, they need to become doers of the word. Whom resisted steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. So we're all going to be tempted. We're all going to face these temptations. But with the grace of God, and that's what it goes on to say, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he, he finishes with a salutation here by uh, uh, by Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you, all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So in in this whole epistles, uh, this that's the first epistle, run through five, and we've already got the recordings up for uh, second epistle of Peter. He talks about a lot of things, this leadership and humility uh, position of the ministers. And and the whole quote where he's talking about the greater and lesser, this is all right out of Matthew, where he says we are not to be like the benefactors who exercise authority. We are, the church is to be a benefactor, but it's based on faith, hope, and charity and that perfect law of liberty. 
It cannot be the benefactor of the people unless the people come together and sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. That's what's required. You know, we, we can help people out. We do. We actually have paid bills and stuff like that. So, you know, medical bills. And we've also helped people out so they didn't incur medical bills. And we could help you out a lot more that way. Improve your health. Improve your life. Improve your family. We like to have a regular call-in show on Saturday afternoon where people can call in with their problems and we talk about them and help them and counsel them. Uh, but that's up to you. If you want to be, come on that call, you need to join the network because we're not going to waste time with people who won't sit down together, won't gather together as Christ commanded. I mean, we do waste time with them. Or I don't know if it's wasted, but we do spend time with them. That's why we constantly putting out these recordings and putting out these articles so that people may may see what they're missing and start freely assembling. You have the right to freely assemble, to gather together. And you would be exempt from a lot of these problems of the world if you had been doing that like Christ commanded and like the early church did. Gathering in these tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, as we've been told to do from the beginning. And operating according to the way. And feeding the flock of God was just caring about our neighbor as much as we care about ourselves. That That's what it is. And, and I go in through and show you some of the Greek words here in the text and what it's all about. And give you links to these other articles uh, uh, that we see in John twenty one seventeen, he saith unto him uh, a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now, we see this same thing, lovest thou me, but it's not the same word every time in the Greek. It's actually a different word. So, anyway, you can go back and uh, look at that. But more important than studying this, because it isn't study to show thyself approved. It's be diligent to show thyself approved. That means you have to be doing what God says to do and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all kinds of other things will start falling into place. And it takes some humility to do this, especially if you've been with us and then left and then now you have to come back. That's great. You know, we're we're not kicking people out. We let the Holy Spirit kick them out. You know, I've, I've... Remember several people that were with us for a long time and then suddenly they, I could see and I, I talked to the other ministers because they weren't coming on the minister's calls that they were planning on leaving. And they weren't saying that, but they were in their actions. And I could, I could sense it in the spirit because they felt the burden of having to look at themselves. And they had some anger issues and other problems. And uh, pride issues, we all have those. It's not anything unique, but it, it manifests itself in a number of different ways. I mean, you can't be angry at people unless you're proud and arrogant. You can't, you can't judge unless you think you're God. You don't have the right to judge others in a judgmental sort of way. And, and you know, I mean, I'm just making observations. I don't know. Who's really, I know there are people out there that are probably way closer to the kingdom than me. And they may even have more overt faults than me. You know, more obvious faults than me. But they may be closer. You know, I don't have to judge that. I have to seek the kingdom. I have to speak the truth. And that's what he's saying back here. 
is that in all the things that you say, you have to speak as an oracle of God. Shortly before the program came out, power went out in the entire county, and uh, we didn't know we'd be able to get on the air, and then all of a sudden it came back, and, and someone commented, there must be somebody that needs to hear this message. <laughs> and I'm hoping there are many people that came on and did hear it or will hear the recordings and say, you know, we should be gathering together. We, sh- I mean, you know, evil is gathering together. You see that in the news. They're gathering together and causing havoc. And they're organized. You know, the early Christian church, that was one of the things that frightened the emperors, is the union and discipline of the early Christian church. Well, that union and discipline came from the bottom up, the grassroots. It was the people gathering together faithfully every week. Those would gather together and those who had to share with those that didn't have enough. This created the bonds of perfection and of righteousness. This is how it operates in in the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the world. And we need to see how that operates and begin to act according to that walk that Christ said that we were all to have. That's that's the way life is. That's the way it should be. That's the way righteousness is. And so anyway, that's that's what we need to be doing. We need to be diligently doing that. We need to set aside our personal pride and come together with a holy kiss of charity for one another. And that charity includes forgiveness of one another. I mean, you when I talk to people about forgiveness, I, I sometimes use the phrase, we need to walk in forgiveness. You ne- need, actually need to be baptized in forgiveness, submerged into forgiveness. So it changes your way so that you don't even go to angry judgment. You know, I have to say these rebuking things to the general public, but I I do not enjoy rebuking the individual in the moment except in in peace and love. And that's the way we all need to be. But until we are, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.